Maybe we should do a, a British invasion podcast. Yeah, it would involve a lot more research. And, like, I mean, I've been listening to this band for, like, 20 years, and uh, I barely I, I barely know anything about him. You don't know jack him. shit about him. <laughs> Here she comes. Welcome to We Both Podcast Together, uh, The Hazards of Loving the Decemberists. I'm your host, Pete Wissinger. And I am also your host, Matt Esner. And today uh, is a Between Albums episode. So our, our task here is twofold. Uh, this is actually, the Decemberists, uh, for a while, we're putting out like a solid release every year. But between The Crane Wife and The Hazards of Love, there was like three years. Yeah, there's a bit of a gap. Of a gap, which is, is the biggest gap the band had had at that point. Um, now, during that gap time, they're, like, touring constantly. I think it's also during that time that uh, Jenny Conley is diagnosed with cancer. Yeah, I believe so. And they had to cancel a tour. That's also, I believe also during this time is when Colin does his his run of solo shows. So I think... After the Sam Cooke EP? I think, yeah, I think that big, that big run of Colin Malloy sings live or whatever. This is also uh, during this time they did the orchestra tour. Oh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, so this is the longest gap that the band has, has been through. Maybe, you know, you, you get on a major label, you make big money per album, so you're not as hungry to put something out every year. You think that's what it was? They were just so rich. What, they were so yeah, rich. Yeah, it's just like, it's like if, if we put another album, I'm not even going to know what to do with all this money. When we, if and, if and when we get the band on the podcast, which will never happen, uh, we, can, we can confirm, we can have them confirm, deny how rich they were. We should just try and get Ezra, their first drummer, yeah. as a guest. Yeah. And see what he thinks of their most recent releases. Sure, yeah. Um, anyway, so we have two tasks today. Uh, the first task is to look at the bonus tracks from The Crane Wife, which we did not cover in our last episode. Uh, there were four tracks that were exclusive tracks depending on how and where you bought the album. Right, um, like if you bought it on a Wednesday yeah. at at a gas station. Um, and there are other hats today is that they're a trio of... I originally was thinking of them as EPs, but really it's a trio of singles, um, each of which had a B-side on them. And these were released in October, November, and December of 2008. Correct. Under the title, Always a Bridesmaid, A, B, and C. So I guess we should start with the four... Crane Wife exclusives. Sure, yeah. Chronologically, that's they come first. Yeah. Um, I assume these were recorded in the same session as Crane Wife. Yeah, well, I mean, so compared to some of their other EPs, like, uh, the, or the some of the other, I guess, bonus tracks that would, you know, find their way onto EPs, these songs are all pretty fleshed out. Like, they sound Yeah, they're like, finished, for sure. Except for, I would say, one of them is, I think, just guitar. Yeah. I was also thinking how weird it is, like, today, the idea of songs being rare or scarce or exclusive in any way is just kind of silly. Right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, and this this album is what, like, Crane Wife came out 14... 2006. Yeah, 14 yeah. years ago, which I guess is a long time. I guess it feels recent to me because I, you know, yeah. remember it, but... Um, but yeah, so even, like, 14 years ago, like, the, just the notion that uh, you, you could only hear something if you bought the physical release just is crazy. 
from a particular place even. Um, yeah. So it's, it's really seems kind of like an antiquated thing. You know, you think like back in the day bands would have like exclusive vinyl releases. And I think there maybe still is some of that with vinyl, like a record store day. There would be like, uh, vinyl that only gets released that one year on record store day. Right. But that's like for collectors only. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It looks like you had bonus tracks from iTunes and from Starbucks. And what was the third one? Uh, was it target? Maybe I know target was tower tower records. Oh, tower records. Okay. Um, and actually I'm only really familiar with two of these in terms of hearing them like when they came out contemporarily. Yeah, I think I really only listened to After the Bombs and Calling of the Fold. Yeah. Well, do you want to start going track by track? Yeah, let's start with After the Bombs. So I feel like that's the one, because I think I bought the album on iTunes. So I actually got this one. So like in my mind, this song comes on after uh, Sons and Daughters. Mm. Which is kind of interesting. Because Well, okay, so... Sons and Daughters ends with Hear All the Bombs Fade Away. And then you have this track, After the Bombs. Yeah, it's like a little, uh, it's like a little story. So, After the Bombs, bonus track, if you bought the album on iTunes. So I don't think I heard this track, uh, I mean, until maybe like a couple years ago. Like probably on Spotify was the first time I heard it. Um, I hear this song constantly because it is alphabetically the earliest song title in my iTunes catalog. So anytime I plug my phone into the aux cord in my car, it starts playing this song. Wow. <laughs> uh, but this is a beautiful song, I think. Yeah, it really is. It's kind of a throwback to, um, I don't know, I, to me it feels like kind of Her majesty E. Yeah, it, it reminds me a little bit of like I Was Meant for the Stage. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's kind of slow, uh, you know, like... It's got like a nice, uh, I think there's some pedal steel on here. That's nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is the kind of track that Crane Wife was missing. These sort of like slower acoustic-y kinds of tracks. Yeah. Do you think, do you think they like purposely pulled tracks like this from the album just so they would have them for releases like this? Or do you, I mean, do you think putting this on, on Crane Wife would have made it felt overstuffed? I mean, I think it's pretty common for bands to record more songs than end up on an album. For sure. This is one that I could see fitting on the album, but probably the only place it would fit on the album is in place of Sons and Daughters. Hmm. I don't know. It feels like a closer. I mean, it's definitely, I think, slower and sadder than almost anything on Crane Wife. It could have gone after after Sons and Daughters. As like, yeah, as that bonus track. As the sort of, like, you know, acoustic... Colin comes out and sings it by himself kind of song. Well, which is where it would be if you bought the album on iTunes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so lyrically, it's it's kind of a nice song about kind of how people would feel if, like, all of a sudden you were at peace. It seems like it's literally about after the bombs. Both this and Calling of the Fold were B-sides on the O Valencia single. Oh, okay. Um, which I think was released after Crane Wife. Gotcha. Have you ever heard him play it live? I don't know if I have, actually. Yeah. I mean, if so, maybe, like, uh, Colin comes out first for the encore. Right. Yeah. It's. I mean, like I said, it seems like that kind of song. The kind of I song. think it's like he would come out and then just, like, Chris is sitting next to him and does some of the pedal steel. 
maybe some thing. maybe some hand stuff. Wow. <laughs> Who that, knows? I don't know. I've never seen him play it live. Maybe that's part of it. He just reaches over. Are you, are you saying he's making shadow puppets? If that's what you want to call it, sure. Oh my god. Let's go to the next song. So, Culling of the Fold might be my like second or third favorite December song. Yeah, I mean, this one I have definitely heard live. Um, it is... So I, I, one of my complaints with Crane Wife is that it was missing the fun Decemberist songs. This is the kind of track it's missing. Right, yeah. If, if, if I mean, if Shanko Butchers had any fun, it would be this song. Cause it's similar. Yeah. Similar I sort mean, of dark, macabre song. Just put this song in where Summer Song is. Yeah. Gives you a nice punch. Uh, this is Colin very much in his wheelhouse of the macabre black humor. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's super dark. Uh, There's an evil cackle in the song. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, I love this song. This is this was like a, a white whale song for me because like when, you know, I'd heard I'd heard of the song's existence. But I guess before like everything in the world was on YouTube, like it was just hard to find the song. Um, Unless you bought the album at Tower Records. Which, I'm not going to Tower (laughs) Records just to buy this album. Yeah, this is one that I think that I probably didn't actually have a copy of, but I'd heard it live a couple of times. Right. Um, And this is also on that O Valencia single, which I did not have. But yeah, I mean, it's this, like, the narrative of the song is like advocating for a boy and a girl to just like grotesquely murder somebody, basically. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, typical Decemberists kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, the lyrics are great. Dump his body in a ditch, leave his limbs all naked, that'll teach him how to take it. Take him by the teeth, get him down on his knees with your hands all shaking, that'll teach him how to take it. I mean, this is this is some violent stuff. Yeah, I think it, it kind of, this is a song that I think reminds me a lot of the song that's going to come up on the next album. Uh, I mean, it's like the sort of rake song has a similar kind of just unrepentant nastiness to it. 100%. This is definitely, I would say, like a proto rake song for sure. And it's got a, it's got a, like a fun, like a uh, little sort of violin melody in there that I assume is, mm-hmm. who was the violin player on this album? Mm, Cause it's not, I don't know who recorded violin on, it's not Petra. Hayden it's not anymore. Petra and it's not, uh, Watkins, Sarah Watkins, because um, it's actually like in the in the O Valencia video, which I you know I've watched since our last episode. Yeah, what'd you think? It's good, but there's a there's a there's a, a girl in that video who's I think is their touring violinist, f- or like she plays violin in oh, this album, and she, and she plays the girl in it. Yeah, she plays the girl in the O Valencia video. Yeah, and I think in the in the Conan uh, performance that You're they right. did from that era she's she's playing violin and i don't remember i don't remember her or who she is you know if we were better podcast hosts we would have uh totally looked that up yeah yeah we would have um, but we're not no <laughs> sorry gang hey everybody it's uh matt here uh just want to let you know i'm a better producer than i'm a host 
and uh, I'm going to just drop a little knowledge on you. So the, uh, the lady whose name we didn't know who appeared in the O Valencia video and toured with the Decemberists for the Crane Wife tour, uh, it's Lisa Molinaro, who was in the Portland-based Talk Demonic Band. Uh, that's it's just talk demonic, not talk demonic band. I don't know why I said it weird. Anyway, so there's a, a folktronica like uh, instrumental hip hop slash I don't know folk electronic band based out of Portland. Uh, I don't know if they're still together. Their Wikipedia page says 2002 to present, but they also don't seem to have an active website. But uh, she will always be the girl. In the O Valencia video, who has to pretend that she's in love with Colin Malloy? So, yeah, Lisa Molinaro. All right, uh, I'll let you get back to the episode. Yeah, I mean, I would say that out of these tracks, this is probably the strongest one. Yeah, this is a good one. And if you listen to the album on Spotify, this is included. Right. Yeah. This is the this is the last track on the Spotify version of Crane Wife. Yeah. Which, would, um, which I wonder what the reason for that is. Yeah, I'll, I mean, it's a terrible it's, closer. Did Spotify buy Tower Records? I think that's what it is, yeah. Yeah, can you imagine listening to Sons and Daughters and then this song? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's why there's an art to sequencing a record, and apparently Spotify is just like, fuck it. Just throw Calling the Fold on there. I mean, this song is honestly so solid, it's a weird choice to not include this on the album. Maybe that's why they didn't put it on there. They were afraid it was too good. <laughs> or they made a conscious decision to abandon this kind of song. Yeah. This is another one that feels like it could be from an earlier album. This is definitely, this feels very picaresque to me. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, it's it's right in there like, you know, we could trace the DNA of this one back to songs like, um, it's a similar sense of humor to cautionary song um or maybe even like mariner's revenge right this is kind of like that sort of december song right yeah it's great so this is one of your favorite december songs for sure does this one go in your halloween mixes oh yeah that's this is definitely a halloween, <laughs> halloween cut i'm noticing a trend matt likes songs he can put on a halloween mix well i mean that's that's one of the you know main excuses i have to listen to december songs i honestly don't Spent a lot of my free time listening to their music anymore, so. Except for now you do. Now I do. But before this podcast, like, they were someone, you know, I'd, I'd pull out, uh, I'd pull out Hazards every once in a while, but for the most part, I'd just wait till October and then I would get to hear some of my uh, favorite December tunes. Yeah. Uh, to Call the Fold is a term, right? Yes. You remember whenever this podcast used to be about explaining what the songs are about? Yeah, now we're just like, that's a good song. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe we should get uh, so back to explaining what these songs wh- what are about. What does it mean to call the fold? Well, it's about r- removing the weakest uh, part of your fold so your your flock is the strongest, best genetic material available. Yeah, so this is like a, uh, a eugenics song. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think it's like as planned as that. I don't. I feel like it's just about two psychopaths who are trying to justify their murderous rampages. But I mean, maybe maybe, it, maybe, maybe. it's eugenics. Who knows? Could be either one. So the other two bonus tracks are both Starbucks bonus tracks because you could always buy CDs at Starbucks. I was kind of wondered who buys CDs at Starbucks. Is that still a thing? Do you still get CDs at Starbucks? Do people still buy CDs? That's a great question. I remember for a while they had those little cards. They had like little cards with like download Digital tracks. download. Yeah. 
remember getting iTunes gift cards? Sure. Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah. Uh, anyway, remember buying music? Ugh, those are the days, right? <laughs> I was thinking about buying DVDs. Like, my DVD collection is stuck in, like, 2008 do, or so. Do you remember the last DVD you bought? The last... Well, okay, so I bought, like, a Blu-ray box set of the Lone Wolf and Cub movies from the Criterion Collection, like, two years ago. Mm-hmm. Does that count? Because that's like a special purchase. Yeah, like, I, I guess. Yeah. Um, but as far as like a new release that I was like, I want the a copy of this. I I have the Force Awakens on Blu-ray. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, How about you? Last DVD you bought? Last DVD I bought was Seven Psychopaths, which was the uh, what's his name? Yeah, yeah. I've never seen it, but I know of it. It's the guy who did In Bruges. Is it? Yeah, it's yeah. Not Neil McDonough, but it's something like that. Uh, and the last, the last. Yeah. Martin McDonough. Martin McDonough. That's his name. Um, but yeah, so that was the last DVD I bought. The last Blu-ray I bought was uh, The Nice Guys. Is that what it's called? Yeah. The, oh, man, that movie's awesome. Yeah, yeah. But, At least I remember it being awesome. Well, that's the thing. I bought it, and I haven't watched it. I bought it like four years ago. Well, if you were to buy The Crane Wife at a Starbucks, there's two options for what track you got. I don't know if you got them both. I'm not actually sure how it worked. Hmm. Well, there's a clear, there's a clear better option if you had to We're choose. We're going to start with hurdles even here. <laughs> uh, so this is a, a stripped down Colin solo on a, an electric guitar track. Yeah, which is not normal for him. Like normal, normally the solo Colin tracks are him and a, him and an acoustic. Well, and this kind of feels like a song that like should have the whole band. Yeah, to it, me it, anyway. It feels kind of spare. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you get anything from the lyrics on this song? He says ovaries. I know that. Yeah, I think this this is about someone being pregnant. For sure. Yeah, this is not a song I'm super familiar with from their catalog. Had you listened to this song before? This is another one I hadn't heard until I heard it on Spotify. So yeah, so it started in your ovaries, a stone, a seedling, our bones entwined, a warning from the orderlies, a bulge for bleeding, this will take its time. This doesn't sound like a good pregnancy. Sounds like a difficult pregnancy. Anyway, do we want to do a a, a deep lyrical analysis of this song? It seems like you don't want to. It seems like you're kind of trying to get out of it. I'm not not super prepared for one. (laughs) Oh... Oh, we're very good at this. It's been we're a, very good at this. It's been a couple of weeks since we've done this, guys. There's a little. And, and also, from here on out, after Hazards, we're going to be talking about music that I need to listen to more intently before we record a podcast. Yeah, maybe let's talk about that. So, where were you in your Decemberists fandom when this came out? Well, it's kind of interesting because uh, definitely still like a fanatic because I saw them at least twice between Crane Wife and Hazards coming out. And I saw Colin solo at this time. So I was obviously like a diehard, right? I saw the Decembers twice and saw Colin Malloy solo between 2006 and 2009. So that's um, that's like once a year. Yeah. So obviously I was still a huge fan and then like getting really excited about things like this Always a Bridesmaid series. Right. Right. Like I was like, oh man, new Decembers tracks. Boom. I'm all over it. Yeah. Right. It's 
after hazards that it's not songs that I have memorized every single lyric to basically, you know, Mm. like, you know, anything, uh, hazards of love and earlier I've listened to so many times that like, I know what's coming. Right. You know? Right. But these EPs or the, these bonus tracks were sort of a little bit harder to get hold of. So I I didn't have them. right? Right. So, you know, at this point I was still sometimes even listening to physical media. Yeah. Um, or songs that I had like ripped onto iTunes. Right. So, um, you know, these songs were not in my catalog of like constant rotation. Yeah. So, you know, the the thing about the song is it's fine. I think that's, that's kind of, it is absolutely fine. Like this is a song that you listen to it and then you kind of forget about it. Yeah. It's not anything that I would put on a mix. I wouldn't like come back to it unless I was doing some sort of podcast where I had to listen to all of the music from the band. But it's not a, it's mean, not this, a bad song. It's not like I feel like if they turn this into a full game. band song, it might be a little bit better. Um, but yeah, as it is, like I like the melody. You know, I think one thing is you find is whenever you get kind of like a strummy guitar song on the Decemberist with nothing else really to pay attention to, you realize like the guitar stuff's typically pretty simple on a Decemberist song. Yeah. Considering the fact that I can play most December songs on guitar and I'm not good at guitar. Right. I mean, I think, <laughs> I think, you know, that's part of what appealed to me about the songs, like and the band in general, like I could play most of the songs and Colin's vocal range isn't like outside that of out my, there, right. yeah, outside of my comfort zone for the most part. It's right in your Q zone. It's exactly in my Q zone. <laughs> it's not right in your Q zone. Yeah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Like, no one is going to get this. No. That's great. Um, So should we talk about Perfect Crime number one slash the day I knew you'd not come back? I had never listened to this all the way through. Before preparing for this episode. Okay, so here's the thing. I'd listened to Perfect Crime Part 1. Like, you know, so the tracks are together. Like, you can't only listen to Perfect Crime Part 1. I think they're just... Right. It's the, yes. it's the kind of thing where it's a two-song two thing. I think Perfect Crime Part 1 is awesome. Like, I love this song. It's really good. It's really goofy. Yeah. Yeah, I like it better than Perfect Crime Part 2, for sure. Well, are they supposed to be two parts of the same story? I don't know. They're, yeah, let's, no, I don't think so. I don't think so either. Um, it's just like they, they had two songs in their pocket about the perfect crime, and they picked the one they liked better and made the other one a bonus track. Yeah, I think this song is much better than Perfect Crime Part 2, except for the dead weight that is the second half of this song. Whew. So Perfect Crime Part 1 lasts, what, like maybe three or four minutes? Yeah, yeah. And it's got this big horn section in it, which is part of what makes it fun. Right. Right. It's got this, yeah, this fun horn section. Um, And and the lyrics of the song are like describing the plans you put into for a heist. Right. He's like, uh, he's like paid off a guard and um, he's got brains and brawn on his side and he's, he's got all this stuff lined up. Right. Then like they trip an alarm on accident. Right. So like it, it is a Decemberist story song, but I think that like a lot of the crane wife, 
the stories are are very literal and simple and easy to follow mm. in the lyrics. Yeah. Um, but this tells a whole story, right? Because um, he ends up like running away from the cops, right? This, it's like he plans a heist, trips an alarm, and is now running from the cops. This song also has a has an f bomb, which if they would have if they would have put it on the album, it probably would have got an explicit tag, and they wouldn't be able to sell that's, all that, That's how you get your major label street cred. Yeah, you get your explicit tag, and then Walmart won't sell you. What if what if like they just frivolously threw f bombs in their songs? I think the content of some of the songs is worse than the curse word, right? Like I mean, there's songs where people get you know pretty horribly murdered but that's okay yeah that's okay but yeah you say always... you say the n-word once and walmart's it's not gonna like sell your record you can in a movie like show people grotesquely being murdered tortured and decapitated but if you show a dick you can't do that oh don't right? show a dick yeah, you can't, yeah you can't show. there's no recovering Which... from that you have to be at least like you have to be at least 18 years old and then then you can see it and maybe keep your sanity yeah Right. Well, at least I think you can see a flaccid penis in an R-rated movie, but you definitely can't see an erect one. Speaking of of erect penises, uh, did you see the <laughs> did you see the Will Ferrell <laughs> the the Eurovision movie with Will Ferrell? I did watch Eurovision. There's a semi erect penis in that movie. I mean, it's part of a statue, but it's still PG thirteen. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Netflix. What do you think of that movie? It's a. I don't understand why it exists, but it's fine. <laughs> yeah, like. It's like it couldn't tell if it wanted to be something earnest or be a Will Ferrell movie. Right. Hey, let's let's keep talking about this song. You know, this <laughs> long discussion is still not as long as this song. No, it's true, and it's probably more interesting than the second half of of the Perfect Crime. Uh, more like the second two thirds. It's true. Yeah. So after after like the fun part where it's just like a bunch of like cool horn riffs. They yeah, of, it's like horns run away from the cops. It's like a goofy heist kind of thing. Then what happens? Then it's just this like jazz freeform, like just wank fest. <laughs> it's like they rented a like a jazz band to do the horn section. They're like, you know what? After the song, you guys just just go for it. It reminds me of of uh, the joke in Spinal Tap. Space Odyssey. <laughs> jazz exploration. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, that's uh, what it reminds same. me of. Like, Agreed. When this part it's like they turn into a jam band for a second. <laughs> yeah. Uh. I. It's and like there are a couple of lyrics sparsed throughout that. I have to admit, I skipped around at the end of this song. Uh, I've only listened to the entirety <laughs> once. Like today was the first time I did because every time it gets to the it gets done with the perfect crime part, I'm like, no, I want to hear that part again because it's so good. I think perfect crime part one is a really good song. I, would, I imagine Perfect Crime 1 and 2 back-to-back would be kind of fun. It might actually make me like Part 2 better. Maybe. Perfect Crime Part 1 reminds me a lot of uh, 16 Military Wives. Yeah, yeah. It's It's got the big bombastic horn section. It's like 16 Military Wives meets, like, Billy Liar or right. something. Yeah, it's fun. It is. It's fun and it's uh, funny and it's, it's you know, it's lighthearted in a way that, again, maybe maybe was missing from Crane Wife. Yeah, they they intentionally got that stuff out of there. So, so anyway, these songs are the bonus tracks, and it seems like you should have bought this album at Tower Records. Yeah, <laughs> that was the that was the best way to go. Well, shall we move on to Always the Bridesmaid singles series? Yes. 
So this seems like they had some stuff that was floating around when they were trying to figure out what they were going to record next. But when they landed on Hazards of Love as their next project, they were like, well, we've got these songs that definitely are not going to fit anywhere in Hazards of Love. So there is a there is a concert uh, uh, that they recorded for NPR that was right after the first of these three EPs came out. And that's that's kind of what Colin says. He's like, uh, these songs are a little bit too jaunty for our next album. So we decided to release them separately. Well, they're not only jaunty, they also do not narratively fit with the hazards of love. Correct. But uh, yeah, so it's a three, it's a three EP set. Uh, I think they were initially just released on vinyl and it's all two vinyl tra- singles with an A side and a B side. Yeah. So just two tracks per, except for there's one. I think the first one has two versions. The, of the second same song. one has two versions okay. of the same song. Yeah. One of them has two versions of the same song and then a, a second or a third song. Yeah, so Always the Bridesmaid single series, volume one, starts with Valerie Plame. Oh, Valerie Plame, if that really is your name, I would shout the same to the world. So this this came out in 2008, uh, at which point uh, the, the story of Valerie Plame was, was pretty much common knowledge at that point. Not that it was something I knew a lot about. Yeah, I mean, I didn't know it about it, but it was like... Did you research it now? Uh, no, I mean, I'm I'm sort of familiar with it. Yeah, so she, she was like a, a spy whose identity was uncovered, basically. She was... She was uh, her husband, I think, was like a political enemy of the vice president at the time, uh, Dick Cheney. And so he was somehow mm-hmm. implicated in... Uh, outing Valerie Plame. Yeah. That's what I remember from the movie Vice. Okay. Well, and so the person who was charged with uh, and convicted with lying to the investigators was someone named Scooter Libby. Oh, yeah, that's right. Scooter. Uh, who who was then pardoned by Donald Trump in 2018. Wasn't Scooter Libby, again, we should have done some research, uh, but I totally think Scooter Libby might have been uh, Dick Cheney's chief of staff, I think, maybe? Yes. Yeah. And yeah, I think she, he he leaked her identity and Right. So what we have here in this song is kind of like a fun imagination of like someone who was in love with Valerie Plame. It's almost like if uh Bagman's Gambit was a true story. Like this is the And and lighthearted. Right. Um I like this song. Yeah. Uh it's got some really fun like strummed banjo. Yes. This kind of like tuba old timey instrumentation right it kind of reminds me a little bit in some of the parts of like the music from uh over the garden wall oh yeah i can see that like from the episode where they're on the riverboat mm-hmm. yep it's also got uh some of your favorite colin malloy lyrics the lottie Daws. who you know what if we're gonna start complaining uh this song definitely goes on too long and at the end just turns into like a hey jude thing oh, see i like that i like that part <laughs> yeah he definitely Always goes for the Lottie Dawes. Look, you, I mean, when you're good, lyrics are when hard. You're good at it. You just you can pull it out whenever you want. But like the the lyrics in this are are they're they're lighthearted and funny. It's kind of a silly song. As a bit of a spoiler, I think this whole series is pretty good. Like this whole series of EPs is good. I just feel like this could have been cut down from a five minute song to like a pretty tight three minute song. What if they just started with the Lottie Dawes? Would you like it then? 
No, that's what they need to cut. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of la-da-da's. You know what song has no la-di-da's? What song? Oh, New England. It does have lot of dumbs in it. Well, not the same. Do, would you have a preference between Lottie Dahs and Lottie Dumbs? He just goes to the Lottie Dahs so much. I think I'd take the lot of dumbs most times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you think of Oh, New England? I think this is a good song. It's like a, I don't know, I would, I would like compare it to uh, a gymnast or oh um, it's it's less serious than that this kind of reminds me almost of like los angeles i'm yours i mean like it's a i would say i compare to gymnast in as much as it's like a mid-album kind of filler but like not an unpleasant one it's like it's a simple two chord song yeah it's not it's it's not objectionable in any way it's a good good enough song i wouldn't skip it necessarily uh but i also wouldn't seek it out the lyrics seem to generally just be about new england Mm-hmm. About traveling to New England. Sure. From Long to Coney Island, from Mid to West to Upper Highland, New Millennium in New York. So it's just kind of like name dropping various parts of New England. So maybe it's like a Grace Cathedral Hill kind of like. Yeah. Although less like travelogue. heartfelt. I mean. Sure. Um, so that is the first single. So you got an A side, B side on a vinyl. Valerie Plame, Oh, New England. Pretty, pretty solid. It's a good pair. So volume two has two versions of the same song and a cover. Right. So we have both a short take, which the short take of this song is four and a half minutes long, and a long take of Days of Elaine. Uh, so, this, I mean, this is, you know, kind of a nice, like, uh, up-tempo, you know, easy rocker kind of song. I like the piano part at the beginning. Yeah. yeah. Um, but in general, this song is a little samey to me. This song is it's fine. Like it seems like uh, some that would play during a montage during a movie. Yeah. <laughs> like it's not like like it's it's a it's good like background music. Yeah. I mean, I've never paid too much attention to the lyrics of this song. Whoa! What are you? What are you, Matt? Over there? It's like a jangly guitar pop song. Very much kind of feels in the influence of the kind of like 80s music that Colin talks about being inspired by. Mm. Late 80s, early 90s kind of guitar jangle pop. Okay. I don't know. You t- you say something interesting about this song. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard yeah. to say something interesting about this song. I would say volume not... two is the weakest of these. Uh, agreed. It's kind of a weird choice to put, be, to have a two song single and be like, you know what? We had two takes of this song. Let's put them both on there. Yeah. Like, it's a weird choice. Yeah. It is a weird choice. But they've done it before with their double bandit queen. <laughs> right. But those are more distinguishable, I guess. Well, yeah, sort of. Because one is actually Joseph and the other one is Colin. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, two versions of Days of Elaine. It's fine. It's not a bad song. If it was on an album... I would listen to it. And then you've got a very sort of like straight cover of the Velvet Underground's I'm Sticking With You. I'm sticking with you Cause I'm made out of glue and So, doing some research for this album, or this, this uh, EP cycle, 
Uh, I read, you know, some reviews, and no one had anything good to say about this cover. Well, it's just, if you're going to do a cover of a song, I feel, uh, especially like a decently well-known song. Like, were you familiar with the Velvet Underground song? I hadn't heard it until today. Oh, okay. I knew the Velvet Underground song. I think it might be on the Juno soundtrack. Mm, I think you might be right. But it's a duet between Colin and, and Jenny Conley, which is mostly just Jenny singing and playing piano, which... I don't know that there's any other December songs that are mostly Jenny vocals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And it's this sort of like simple, almost childlike song from the Velvet Underground. And they pretty much cover it in the exact same style that the Velvet Underground performed it in originally. Yeah. And I think a cover like that is kind of tough to swallow. It's like, what's the point? Right. Yeah. It's like uh, it's like a couple of years ago when like Darius Rucker did that cover of the old Crow Medicine Show song that was basically just the same song. And it was like, wait, it was already a good song and it was already their biggest hit and you're just covering it. And like now you're making lots of money. I mean, I'm sure that old Crow Medicine Show made tons of money on it too. So Wagon Wheel is the name of the song, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm familiar with it. But yeah, I mean, it was basically just a straight cover that was a good cover of a good song. Yeah, so this is fine it's the same as the velvet underground song what did you think having not been familiar with the velvet underground song uh i mean i liked it because i thought it was a cute song like i thought i mean i knew it was a cover i think i think i knew that probably not on first listen but pretty early on i I knew it was a cover i just never made an effort to seek out the cover because i don't like the velvet underground i'm not like super kaylin really likes velvet underground because again she's cool and i feel like velvet underground is cool people music yeah yeah, I mean, I feel like Velvet Underground, like, it's, I mean, when I listen to their version of this song, I'm like, oh, this would go on a Wes Anderson soundtrack. For sure. I'm pretty sure it's on the Juno soundtrack. It probably is. It sounds like it is. Yeah. I'm looking at the Juno soundtrack listing. I'm glad we're, like, this is just really demonstrating how prepared we are. <laughs> uh, let's see what we got here. Velvet Underground, I'm sticking with you. Boom. Yeah. So, Did you know that go. there's a Bell and Sebastian song on the Juno soundtrack? No. What song? Is it one I would know? Yeah. It's on Dear Catastrophe Waitress. Um, if You Find Yourself Caught in Love. No. Which one fits with the like twee acoustic Juno soundtrack? Piazza New, New York yes, Catcher? Yes, Piazza New York Catcher, yeah. which is a great song. It's a great song. It's a great album. We really should do a Bell and Sebastian podcast next. All right. Well, put it on the put it on the list. What the list else of, of of our next podcast project that yeah. no one will listen to, and you will spend hours and hours of your life editing? Yes. Uh, anything else to say about I'm sticking with you? Uh, I liked it. I thought it was cute. Oh uh, yeah. I mean, but in general, this middle one is kind of, eh. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Fair enough. were they saving their best songs for the third one? I think it's pretty clear that they were. Yeah. This third one has two, like, top-notch Decemberist songs. Yeah. So, Volume 3 of Always the Bridesmaid, single series. Side A is A Record Year for Rainfall. This song is amazing. The instrumentation is so cool in this song. It's another banjo song. It is another banjo song. It's got a really cool string section. It's it's just this like very like pretty morose kind of song. Yeah. This is one I would, you know, this would 
this would get me excited if I saw it live because I don't think I've ever, I don't think I've ever seen any of the Valerie or the uh, Bridesmaid singles. I've seen live. I've seen Raincoat song definitely. Oh man, yeah, I think I've yes. heard Days of Elaine live too. So record year for Rainfall is I mean, it sounds a lot like an, another song that's not on an album uh, on an album proper. It it reminds me a lot of. Uh, the song that they did for Dark Was the Night, Sleepless. Oh, yeah. It's like, it seems like it's kind of cut from the same cloth. Ooh, I like, like that a, song. It's a great song. But it's like kind of like this kind of dark sort of moody vibe. But it's not like it's not like dark in the way that like Culling All the Fold is dark. It's just kind of like more moody, more like sort of. It kind of has this kind of like a hopeless sort of feeling to it. Right, right. Like existential darkness as mm-hmm. opposed to murdering innocent people kind of darkness right yeah it's not like a a fun darkness no <laughs> more no. depressing but uh right yeah this song is really cool yeah yeah i kind of wish that they would do more of this which i guess the sound of this is touched on most closely in king is dead the kind of like lush folk kind of sound mm. yeah like i think that's the album that this would most naturally fit in Okay, yeah. I mean, and instrumentation-wise, I think it's pretty close to what they were doing. Yeah. Um, and then our last track, Side B here, is Raincoat Song, which is a duet between Colin and John Moen. It is so good. It is it is a very good little song. Uh, this kind of reminds me almost of like the uh, January and June hymns on uh, King is Dead. Mm, yeah, it's just it's just a delightful little like sort of finger picking mm-hmm. guitar and some nice harmonies. Pretty harmonies, and and it's it's nice. It's like as as dark and sort of moody as Record Year for Rainfall is. This is kind of like. It's still got a little like sort of darkness to it, but it's like it's it's just it's a little bit like brighter. It's in tongue terms in cheek lyrics message. for sure. Yeah. yeah, that whole idea, the raincoat that you wore when it rained today, I think it only made it rain more. It's about this this girl Caroline who's just kind of like sleeping her life away, kind of depressed, and and it's like yeah, it's kind of you get the feeling of like. Someone who, like, has a rain cloud just over them, right. following them around. Yeah, but in, like, a cute way. Yeah. Like a, like a Winnie the Pooh kind of way. Two songs about rain. I don't think that's an accident. Yeah, this is just, that's, that's the motif on this one. Right, yeah. I would say this is the best song out of the whole single series. For sure. It's a great song. And I've definitely heard Colin and John do this live. Nice. As that sort of, like, pre-encore song. Nice. Yeah. Always a Bridesmaid. The singles series. One thing I think is kind of interesting is that, like, had they not been on a major label, this these might be the kinds of songs they would have never gone to studio with. Hmm. Right? These maybe would have stayed demos if they weren't comfortable enough to, like, do whatever they wanted. Or that they would have been the next album. Like, maybe had they not moved to the capital, Hazards of Love wouldn't have been the next album. Maybe they would have just, you know, kept, kept making the exact same types of albums that they've made for the last three attempts. Well, the idea that they put out these six songs 
And then the next thing they put out the following year is Hazards, is a very stark contrast. Right. Right. And I think when they were putting these out, they knew that's what was happening. Because I mean, I don't know if they had started recording Hazards or yet. They were definitely they must writing have. it. Yeah, because Hazards came out. Hazards will come out in March or And Rake April Song came out early as a single. Yeah. So so at this point, when these EPs were coming out, Hazards was either being recorded had been recorded or they at least knew that that's what it was in the works was yeah so like this was all of these songs were kind of like you know i guess not necessarily getting out of their system but just putting them out there because they wouldn't have a place for a while but these are i don't know like this is the kind of thing that unless you're a diehard fan you probably would never hear any of these songs right um, also because they don't really play them live. Yeah, you have to intentionally seek these out. Um, right. But I'd say it's worth seeking out if you're a fan of the band. Yeah, for sure. I mean, even even the, the Crane Wife extra tracks, I think for the most part, are, are really good. So out of all ten songs we've talked about here in this episode, right. which one would you say is your favorite? Well, Calling of the Fold. Calling of the I Fold. Just, I love that song. A lot. But I mean, honestly, like, if you made an album of these 10 tracks, you know, if you sequenced it right, I think you'd have a pretty decent album. You know what? I think you could take those cuts from Crane Wife and stick them with these songs and they would fit pretty well. Yeah. And it would sound like a pre-Crane Wife Decemberist album. Yeah. I would say it would sound like a pretty solid Decemberist album. Yeah. So is there a Pitchfork review for the Always the Bridesmaid series? There is a Pitchfork review for this. Did they like it? Well, that's your job to guess. So we're we're in the the segment. Uh, does Pitchfork still like the Decemberists? I'm th- this does uh, not get best new music. It doesn't get best new music. So so Pete's going to try to guess what what rating Pitchfork gave the series. I'm going to guess it's either a, a high six or a low seven. Do you want me to say an actual? You have to pick a number. That's the rule. Six point eight. This is actually a seven point I was close. Yeah. But, I mean, it was a pretty positive review, given the fact that it's, you know, it's like a B plus for, on the Pitchfork scale, I guess. Um, but the weird thing about the album, or the review, is that it, it spends a lot of time uh, talking about hazards. Because at the, at the point when this review came out, you know, the Decembers were already doing, like, pre-press for, for Hazards of Love. And so the reviewer was kind of like spending a decent amount of time calling calling a shot about hazards of love and anticipating that release yeah but also kind of like getting some shots in at crane wife too because uh, this was a different reviewer than the yeah, I would say uh, they gave the crane wife a very high score yeah so this wasn't steven dusner this wasn't the guy who reviewed uh who reviewed crane wife this is another reviewer by the name of joshua love and uh there's just a couple a couple things that i'll pull out from this one um but uh, he said the Decembers have always embraced their own inescapable pretentiousness, yet their saving grace was always the self-aware lightness with which they carried their geekdom at its best manifested in breezy dork outs like Billy Liar and the sporting life. So, I mean, yeah. So like, I think he's kind of, he kind of likes the band and like recognizes their sort of charm, but he also didn't like the crane wife that much. Yeah. Uh, he said, by comparison, chunks of the crane wife felt turgid and overblown. Indications that a band once wise enough to cordon off its most epic tendencies in ancillary standalones like the Tain EP had allowed the weight of ambition to par- partially sink its albums. Wow, he's gonna love hazards, right? But I mean, and and this is in an, this is in a review for 
these EPs. The, always a Bridesmaids EPs, which, you know, it's the same band. So, I mean, yeah, you have to talk about, like, it's hard to talk about bands without the context of their other music. But anyway, but he does have nice things to say about the EP. He really likes uh, the, the one-two punch of record year and raincoat song. So he likes he likes that section of the series the best. That makes a lot of sense. It's a very strong closer. Yeah. But yeah, so that was uh, that was the Always a Bridesmaid EPs and uh, the Crane Wife bonus tracks. All right. So our next episode will be, I imagine, the most difficult one to do in this format. Uh, yeah, I mean, probably. There's more tracks, and it's a weird thing to go for track by track. But the next one is there, of course, epic rock opera, The Hazards of Love. And hopefully we'll have a special guest on there. I think that's that's the plan. We're not going to call it. Uh, we're not going to call our shot in terms of special guests. But so if if you're it. listening out there, call in. Call in. Right. Yeah. Uh, or you can lines yeah, you are can open. Follow, you can or you can just guess. Follow us on Twitter and 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 tweet at us and yeah, say what, who what's you our think Twitter the guest is going to be. It's at podcast both, but just look, <laughs> look for we both podcast together. That's that's us. How many followers not, do we have on Twitter? We have no followers on Twitter. No, we have one because I follow it. But yeah, I'm gonna. Yeah, send, you don't even. You gonna, don't even. I'm gonna send it. it to Colin. I don't have Twitter. Yeah, well, so maybe if we if want an Instagram, Twitter, I'll do can, an Instagram. You'll double our follower count. The Instagram will just be pictures I take in this closet where I record this podcast. That's what people want to see. That's what people they want to see. see they want to see how the sausage is made. Yeah. Um, Back to Hamilton. Yeah. <laughs> they want to see the room where it happens. They do want to see the room where it happens. Um, but yeah, so that was uh, that was it. Yep. That was the show. And there's nothing else we do on the show, so we can just go ahead and end it. Uh, well, without... wait a second. We've got <laughs> no. to do a send-off. No. Whose turn don't... is it? I don't know. I'll I do think one. I did, I'll do I technically one. did it last time. All right. So until next time, don't wear a raincoat because it'll only make it rain more. That sounded I mean that sounded good. I I I, I can't lie. I think that might be the best one. Yeah. The best one we've yeah. ever done. All right. Bye y'all. Bye. Bye.